from the product perspective, we're always looking about how can we create something that is valuable, usable, feasible to be able to be built and viable for the end user. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the Future of Work podcast. This is the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future, and it's brought to you by Wanda and Patton. I'm your host, Doug Folks, and my co-host is Claire Haydar, who is the CEO at Wanda. Claire, how are you today? Doug, I'm good, and yourself? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a, been a while, but yeah, I'm glad to be on the podcast with you. I'm going to jump in because I know we've got a very, very busy podcast ahead of us. Jonathan Hensley, he's the CEO of Emerge Interactive. Why is he on the podcast and what can we expect from the next three episodes? So Doug, I'm really excited about this podcast. I know that I say that about certain guests, but there's a very specific reason why I'm excited to have this conversation. I believe that work is undergoing a very, very big change and a shift in mindset. Companies to date have approached work through the lens of people just show up and get stuff done and ultimately it's all about what's created the product that's created at the end you know the revenue that's generated and as we become a more connected global virtual asynchronous world there is a very big shift happening towards actually designing the work experience. You know, if you go right back to the early 2000s when the dot-com bubble burst, um, one of the biggest learnings that came out of that and one of the evolutionary phases that technology went through was moving from just pure code, which is zeros and ones, to really thinking about the experience of a product and the experience of a user face. And so today we have very cemented you know, careers and philosophies within UI and UX. And I think the exact same evolutionary process is happening with work today. People are going back to the drawing board and saying, we can't just expect people to show up, shove a whole lot of tools in their face and say, get the work done. We actually have to think about the work experience and how that work experience impacts the outcomes that are created. And Jonathan is um, a product designer and creator. It's what they do at Emerge Interactive. And so, this is a conversation about that evolutionary process. How do we take the, the principles that are used in product design and UI and UX and apply that to work? Okay, Claire, now that sounds very, very interesting. Let's head on over and hear what Jonathan has to say. So, Jonathan, very, very nice to meet you. I know Claire's going to do her own little introduction shortly, but um, yeah, nice to meet you across the ocean. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. As you know, our podcasts are split up into sort of three mini podcasts. In this first segment, we're going to be talking a little bit more specifically around product building principles. And my first quick question is straight off your website or comment off your website. Why do 84% of digital products fail to meet or exceed expectations? Uh, that's a great question. You know, the, the root cause of a lot of this uh, failure is usually built around this issue of alignment. Um, very often, uh, product failure in the product space is discussed around this idea of lack of market fit or a connection with customers. And while that is definitely one of the most 
significant contributors to to product failure and lack of performance, it really uh, there's much deeper root causes within an organization around expectations management, siloed information and knowledge. Uh, and the list goes on and on, and that all contribute to this significant. Um, rate of failure and underperformance that uh, organizations and these teams are um, having to confront uh, with every single day. So, hi, Jonathan. Good to be on the podcast with you. Hi, Claire. Getting my voice in here as we get get started on this. Jonathan, just to pull us all a little bit back and, you know, to look at the why we're excited to have you on the podcast today. It's very much because I genuinely believe that a lot of product building principles can actually be applied to the future of work. You play in the one space, we play in the other. And, you know, I'd really like to sort of see where we can mesh those two topics together today. Hence us, you know, just going straight back to the basics of of product building. So if you could lay out for us, I mean, you run an interactive digital product building agency what are some of the basic product building principles that you and your team apply to every digital product you build so as to avoid that 84% failure? Sure. Well, I think there's two major facets that I'd love to start with. So from the product perspective, we're always looking about how can we create something that is valuable, usable, feasible to be able to be built and viable for the end user that we're working with. And so those are kind of cornerstone tenets that uh, we follow as well as as many other product uh, groups and leaders around the world. I think behind that, what's really important that we focus on very deeply is this idea of alignment. And alignment has four facets to it that I think are really critical. And especially when it comes to, we we think about uh, changing the way that we work or improving the way that we work. And so the first area of alignment is around um, individual alignment, which really means understanding how our work contributes and matters, why we're doing what we're doing, how it makes a difference, and the impact we have as as an individual contributor. The second one is around team alignment, which really deals with how do we build alignment with others, integrating our unique disciplines, experience, and perspectives to help solve shared problems together. Uh, or provide solutions uh, to our end users. And the third is around dealing with the organizational alignment, which is really about how do we align the organization's vision, strategic priorities, and resources in order to effectively empower the teams and individuals to be able to solve these problems. And then the fourth is market alignment, which deals with understanding your customers or end users and the problem you want to solve in an impactful and meaningful way. And many times uh, for uh, organizations today, we're looking at employees are actually the consumer of these products that are driving massive amounts of digital product transformation in these organizations as they look to modernize and they change their, their management practices to support that. Those are really fundamental where we have to start the work around product from really the inside out of the organization and really be mindful that there are many, many layers that have to be considered instead of just the one, which is how do I, you know, get someone to do X, Y, Z per se, and without actually understanding what it will take to enable that as a new and systemic behavior that is repeatable 
that will also produce a predictable outcome of success for those that are involved. So essentially what you're saying is most companies when building products, and in this case, for purposes of this conversation, building a different type of working environment are mostly focused on the market piece, which is that customer piece and driving alignment there, but they don't really bring that back to the individual, the team and the organization itself. Exactly. And a very clear example of this that we see in many organizations is they really focus on the feature set they think that those end users need, but they're not really under looking into what un drives the motivation of the user to do the thing in a particular way or how they actually develop a product that actually empowers teams. So not only does it become very feature focused, we're actually losing the opportunity to drive engagement and connection with those that are really using the product. And many times the products then over time become uh, almost unusable because they're trying to do too many things and they're not really focused on the individual aspect of what we're asking people to focus on. Yeah, makes sense. Doug, back over to you. Thanks, Claire. Um, so Jonathan, we've sort of understand that a lot of digital products do break down. You've spoken a little bit about the basics behind why that happens. What are the frameworks or methodologies that you you actually use in your design or in the in the product building process? Well, there are dozens of fantastic frameworks, um, and I think that what we look at uh, from our perspective is just what's the right tool based on the circumstance. What are we trying to determine and evaluate. In many cases, one tool that, that re really stands out for us that we really enjoy using is something called the Kano model, which was originally developed by a Japanese economist of trying to understand where does investment and value come into play and, and how should organizations plan that forward. And that particular framework is a beautiful example of mapping the expectations of users and understanding what are the basic expectations that they want or feel a product or service should be providing, what are those things that are really driving performance and the ability for them to make decisions or to move through a sequence of, of action effectively, and where can we actually implement areas that would generate delight or excitement for users. And it's a really wonderful framework it's one of the most difficult things to do is, is assessing people's expectations. Uh, many expectations go unspoken, so it does require, uh, you know, really quality research. But it's a beautiful framework when you think about, well, what does this product or service need to do at its essence? And how is, are those expectations driven by internal perception? Are they in, in driven by the market, by competition? What facets are driving these expectations and how can we uh, leverage that insight to create better products and tools uh, for customers and employees that then will drive that increased value and adoption? And so that's just one example, I think, of a, of a fantastic framework that is really helping a lot of product teams do some really thoughtful, great work. Jonathan, just before we move off of this specific thing, can you give us an example of where You've used the Kano model very well and very successfully. And then can you give us an example where you've chosen to specifically not use it for various reasons and you've chosen a different one? Sure. So in one example, we were working with a global manufacturer who has 
60,000 employees around the world. And we were trying to create a tool to support collaboration. And so the first thing that we needed to do in that process is really make sure there's a shared understanding definition of what collaboration is. And as we talked to different teams in different locations, we started to see that there was a lot of different interpretations of what collaboration meant and what successful collaboration looked like. And so we started to, one, establish a unified shared understanding globally for their teams. And then from that and through our research, starting to develop more insights into what their expectations of collaboration needs to look like in the future. And so the Kano model was a great way for us to take that insight and start to map it out and look at where do we need to be focusing to meet the basic expectations of all of these disparate teams all over the world and how the platform at a minimum would need to be able to provide and uh, deliver the capabilities for that collaboration to take place. And so that was a really wonderful example of where that model was really effective. In other circumstances, it's not, you're right, it's not always the best tool and there is no one tool that's best for all cases. We have another project where we worked on, which is related to artificial intelligence. And a lot of what's being done is is hypothetical. There are very few expectations and to build from it at this stage of where their product is. And so, you know, the Kano model is just not the right representation. And so what we really focused on is using empathy mapping, which is a design practice where we try to really understand what is the ultimate goal of our audience and what are all the things that they're trying to do and accomplish to achieve that goal. And so by leveraging that tool in combination with starting to develop a mental model for behavior and what they were trying to accomplish, we could better approach how we might prioritize the features to meet the needs of of users who, for all intents and purposes, have never had a tool like this ever to work with. So their expectations are undefined. And so being able to develop more around their needs and emotional value that they and functional value that they need to focus on allowed us to really make sure that we were delivering for that product a much more robust and focused project. It's super helpful the way you've broken those two things down because I love the differentiator. Like what I'm taking away from what you're sharing is that in the first set where the Kano model worked really well was the expectations were clear, but not necessarily aligned. And so you could actually use the Kano model to drive that alignment. Whereas in the second one, the expectations were completely undefined because it was so early on, so new, so innovative. And that brings us to the end of the first part of our conversation about using digital product building techniques to influence the future of work with Jonathan Hensley. To follow this conversation further, make sure to catch the next two parts on your favourite podcast platform or on Wanda's website, wndyr.com. From Claire and myself, we'll see you soon.